This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, somehow millions of dollars in cryptocurrency is gone. Hackers are to blame. Cybersecurity expert Hank the Hacker helps us understand how hackers can steal crypto and how North Korea and other countries are using hacks like these to make millions of dollars. It's Flashback Friday, Throwback Thursday here on The Shift. So we're going back to 2012, which, by the way, was the last year Canada hosted an NHL All-Star game. We go to Ottawa. We celebrate all things 2012, music, movies, commercials, and more. Plus, are you okay with house parties? Yes, please. And how about Shakira? How about Shakira at a house party? That'd be cool. It's all coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. System breach. What just happened? Someone hacked me. Hanky, Hank the Hacker, White Hat Hacker, the kind of guy who just uh, likes to do securities kind of hacking, kind of like a locksmith. You know, they know how to do all the bad stuff, but what they do is they make sure everyone's doors, locks, and all those things work. Um, Hank, how are you, brother? Thanks for having me, Shane. I'm not bad. How are you doing? Good. Thank you very much. I am very, very good. Our conversation is two particular topics tonight and anything else that comes up. First of all, cryptocurrency and this gigantor hack that happened uh ftx was it you that stole 450 million dollars of crypto from ftx oh my gosh i wish what a mess hey it's like <laughs> i wish at least <laughs> <laughs> um it, it's this is this has been a mess ever since november and uh you know it speaks volumes the fact that there's so many professionals looking at this incident that um, don't even really know what happened. In fact, we've even had, uh, there was exchanges claiming that they knew the identity of the hacker and um, all these kind of like speculation going around in, in the media. But um, with, with even Sam Bankman-Fried, the, the owner or the founder of FTX, claiming that the hack was uh, a disgruntled employee. Um, but kind of what what happened here and what it boils down to is uh, yeah like you said over 400 million dollars worth of cryptocurrencies went missing and as of right now a little more than 74 million dollars has been moved to bitcoin through um ironically enough and maybe this is a little bit shady but it's been moved to bitcoin using a crypto bridge that was owned by the same company that uh that went through the bankruptcy FTX. So it's it's kind of a little bit shady when you look deeper into it. It really makes sense why, um, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried would have blamed the hack, or I'm going to say hack with quotes over my head, on a disgruntled employee. And when when people see this story, they think immediately, they're like, whoa, like I thought cryptocurrency couldn't be hacked. But um, if there's anything that 2021 and 2022 taught us, it's that um, all these like all these brand new technologies based on cryptocurrency exchanges and different chains 
um, are very open to, to vulnerability and exploit. And, um, you know, like we'll probably touch on later, but one of the North Korean hacking groups has made, uh, I think it's just a little over half a billion dollars in the last year alone, just from cryptocurrency hacks. And mm -hmm. so it's really, really alarming. And, and it speaks well on why people say, if you're going to participate in, in purchasing or trading cryptocurrency, you need to make sure that you are the holder of that cryptocurrency. If you don't hold your private keys, that their private key is like a mix of random numbers or letters, or um, like sometimes they'll have a mnemonic phrase where it's a mix of 24 words, for example. If, if you don't actually own that private key or that recovery key, then you don't actually own your cryptocurrency. It's it's being it, it's in the custody of whatever exchange you're storing it on. Mm -hmm. Well, and this is something we've learned from uh, we had the guys on from Bitcoin well long ago. And the way that they do it is exactly that. Like you have your wallet, you have your key. They are a service that moves that stuff, you know, for you. And that how incredibly important that part of it is because of the fact that them, therefore you have the wallet. Now, for anybody who's ever said that banking regulations are terrible, this is why banking regulations work is situations like this. And so, but how is it that it actually gets hacked though, Hank? Because when, I mean, is it like a traditional, someone's getting in through someone's user passwords and then moving money because they're not actually hacking the crypto they're just hacking the website that managed the crypto and then they move the money because it seems to me we've been told time and time again with all of these extra keys and characters that you can't actually hack the crypto. Yeah, that that's correct. With all the recovery words, like if you have a recovery phrase, no one can actually hack that. Um, what we've seen in the news, there's kind of two different there's two, I guess I'll, I'll say types of, of crypto hacks that we've been seeing and one is on the exchange so it's on on whoever is is with custody of the crypto for whatever exchange so we'll use um well we'll use ftx for example um yeah why not if if they if their hot wallet which is the wallet that's online connected and ready to make transfers if it has all of these these bitcoins in it and and they allowed trading with other coins too um then that allows not only a disgruntled employee, but if anyone had any kind of backdoor access, if, if they had been compromised in the past and, you know, someone had hacked into their network or something and they noticed that the, the bankruptcy hearing is it's gone through, it's all it's going to happen, um, then they may have just in panic tried to transfer the funds out uh, just as well as if an internal employee could have. But on, on the other hand, we have uh, these smart contracts. And uh, so it, what you can do, anyone can do this, it's actually really easy, is they, they can put together this smart contract. And they're really modular. They have a lot of different features around uh, how transactions take place, um, how liquidity might be man managed within a pool if someone is trying, if people are throwing a bunch of coins into one pot and then trying to benefit off of the trading fees off of that. Uh, so it's like meant to be really easy for people to make these smart contracts. But 
because of the open source of them, people have the ability to audit that and, and look at it for vulnerabilities. So they can actually, with some of these like other coins, um, they can actually hack into the network itself or the like the, the smart contract. So we'll say like they could hack into the cryptocurrency smart contract and uh, they can manipulate it to send transactions mm -hmm. or um, or manipulate it to, to do anything that any of its functions are meant to do. They can kind of have their way with it. And Bitcoin is kind of unique because it doesn't have that it doesn't have that ability for someone to to hack a smart contract there's no like smart contract for them to hack with it uh so you know if you're storing things in bitcoin it can sit there for a long time and that's likely what is going to happen here um where you know they've moved it into bitcoin they have 74 million dollars uh, probably more in bitcoin right now and in the future uh, what tends to happen is they'll wait around a year or two and then they'll try and turn this Bitcoin into real money or in, into mm -hmm. fiat currency. Okay, so that because I mean, if I understand correctly, like the you might not know who who owns the token, but the token itself is traceable. And then there's got to be some point where someone tries to cash in the money. It's kind of like diamonds, right? Like when someone steals gold and diamonds, the gold and diamonds themselves, you know, everyone knows that that gold and those diamonds exist, but it's when they try to pawn them, it's when they try to turn them into currency they can use. That's when it kind of gets exposed. Is that what we're looking at here too? Yeah. And, and there's lots of times where, um, and I'll m mention this in a, a bit too, but uh, I'll use Harmony as an example where they got hacked in June last year and um, we're only seeing it was actually in this last weekend that just passed where they transferred, I think it was 41,000 Ethereum worth around $63 million. And uh, so they, there's usually a bit of time in between that or there's these like really interesting cases where there was this couple in New York and they were sitting on something like $300 million worth of Bitcoin or something like that. And they got caught with it. It's amazing. Okay. So now you said North Korea, for example, here's the thing. If we're going to put on our conspiracy hats, only conspiracies, but if we're going to do it, I mean, the guy who ran FTX, this massive company, and then, I mean, if anybody was trying to get at the money to pull the money out and hide the money before the government came and took it, from an inside job, that would be the speculation you sort of alluded to that. If you're a, a, a foreign government that needs money and you happen to have hackers lying around, um, wouldn't those foreign governments be perfect to go after these kinds of things to try to uh, swap them over and steal the money like the North Koreas of the world? Absolutely. It's, it's even, I think it's becoming a lot more common now for foreign governments to try and well, I guess this is obvious, but try and kind of sneak their personnel into positions or um, pay people off in important positions to be able to do these kinds of things. And like, oh, hey, the company's going down. We need foreign currency to fund our, you know, whatever program, insert program here. And so they just have a paid off employee that's already disgruntled and, and makes the, the transfer. So yeah, it's very, absolutely, it's, it's possible.
That's wild. It's wild to think. I mean, it does make sense, right, um, that foreign governments would try to steal diamonds from other banks, would try to steal these kinds of things so they can they can get money. In fact, stolen art during wars and all that is a conversation we're going to have later on the shift. I mean, that's what they used to do. You know, Second World War was stealing gold and art. So why wouldn't that translate into today's world? All right. You know, this is not new, though. This has been going on quietly in the background. We're just catching on. Are we just that far behind the curve, Hank? I think with in in terms of cybersecurity, well, while the last year, maybe I'll, I'll say three years have been a really good like catalyst into the importance in cybersecurity and, and privacy in general, I, I think we're still a little bit lagging behind in, in terms of, you know, being on top of these things and really like curbing North Korea's ability to run these cyber attacks. They've been they've been one of the leaders in cybercrime for the last two or three years. And and throughout the pandemic, they've just been kind of having their way with financial institutions, crypto exchanges, and and you name it. Hmm. It's fascinating. One other question, a little bit selfish on this one. Uh, firewalls. Firewalls to serve websites. Since you and I have been talking, you know, especially in the last three, four months, and in some of my other conversations, I mean, the activity on hacking seems to have skyrocketed to whole new level kind of stuff. And are we seeing um, like a change in this and do simple things for the for the general users? Because a, a Joe Blow website doesn't really have any valuable data on it. I mean, maybe the business gets handcuffed for some ransomware type of, type of thing, but for the most part, but they can use that for spam emails. They can use it for storing porn and selling uh, illicit products. They can use it to distribute viruses on just Joe Blow's corner store website. Things like firewalls, is that does that make a difference for these small business operators to, okay, everyone's got their plugins, they've got their website, but is putting a firewall plus your SSL on a just a typical website, is that helpful? You know, I, I, I think that firewalls are good, but if if I, I think that that question would really depend on if you're self-hosting, and, and by that I mean is your website like being hosted from a server that's on site? Because if that were the case, then, you know, hardware firewalls would obviously be the answer. But um, if you're hosting through something like GoDaddy or uh, even through a virtual private server host, then I think that that, that wouldn't be as big of a worry because um, they usually manage that for you. Yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. I'm just trying to take this into the small business people, right, that have a little side hustle. I mean, if you're using um, Shopify, Shopify probably manages that. But I'm assuming if you're buying from places like you talk about GoDaddy, Amazon, um, Bluehost, like the host, I don't even know if HostGator is still around. But all those guys, you know, they probably, you know, would things like firewalls be a worthwhile subscription for some of these small businesses? Yeah, I, I think it would for sure. And, and not only that, but just you know, even taking a little bit of awareness training and, and trying to put yourself or, or you know, your, your employees in, in, at the advantage and, and being aware of these attacks and what can happen and why, why they might target you. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Well, let's remember, your website, just like your computer, is just like a car. It needs a little maintenance once in a while, not to be forgotten. Thanks for being here, Hank. Thank you, Shane. This is The Shift Podcast.
There are some massive sporting events that are coming up that we get excited about. Of course, there's the Super Bowl. That'll be super fun for us here on the shift because we like to have a good time with it. And who doesn't like a little afternoon drinking and then having a nap before work to clear your head and your liver, right? Uh, there's not only that, there's also some hockey coming up, the NHL All-Star Game. So it got us chatting here on the shift. When was the last time we had one in Canada? Now it's been a, uh, it's been a minute since we do this. Now I understand that Merca is 10 times bigger and 10 times amount of money and all those things. The deals are 10 times more lucrative. It would be great to have a Canadian NHL commissioner. Let's just put it that way. Cause it seems like there's so many things in front of sports that stop Canadians from winning. That's conspiracy theory. I get that. But today, for our Throwback Thursday and Flashback Friday, we are rewinding to the last time Canada had the privilege to host an NHL All-Star game. When was it? NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, the most beloved man on the planet. Uh, <laughs> that guy gets booed everywhere he goes, always. He he lives into it, though. He loves it when people boo him. He, it's like his, yeah, he, he owns it. I don't think he always has, though. I think there are, there was an era where he didn't like it. I think he's embraced oh, it, yeah, perhaps now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, he made the announcement for this particular hockey game from the fancy Chateau Laurier. Um, no games today, so we have to do something else that will be fun and interesting and exciting. And what better way to use all of our time today than to make a special announcement. Although based on the media reports and speculation, I don't think this is coming as a shock to anybody. Uh, I am proud, I am delighted, I am pleased to announce that the City of Ottawa, the Senators, and Scotiabank Place will host the events of the 2012 National Hockey League All-Star Weekend. Cool. Now, the event marked the first time the city of Ottawa hosted an NHL All-Star game. And Ottawa, as a team, is it's a strange one. There's a lot of change going on in Ottawa. Of course, there's talk about new ownership and Ryan Reynolds. There is begging for a new arena because it's out in Canada. That's a long way out of Ottawa. But at the same time, it's really not anymore. If you've been there 20 years ago, it was a long trip to get out of there. Like it was a, to go from downtown Ottawa to Canada, it was fields and all kinds of stuff. Now it's endless city. It's still the same length of trip, mind you, but it's surrounded by businesses now and houses and community where it was not like that 20 years ago. But regardless, it's still a bit of a trip. People would like to see that be moved. This was the thought of, hey, let's inspire hockey in Ottawa. And this marked the first time it ever happened. This edition of the All-Star Game in the NHL in Ottawa featured the fantasy draft format. First seen in the previous year, the participating players voted for team captains, selecting Daniel Alfredson for the All-Star host Ottawa Senators, of course, and Zidane Ochera of defending Stanley Cup champion Boston Bruins to be the two captains. Now, after an insane game, Chara was victorious with a 12 to 9 victory over Team Alfredson. Short of throwing their sticks in the middle and hoping they got picked by the cool team, it was a lot of fun to watch the hockey game. 
In conjunction with the game and the skills competition, events were held from January 26th through January 29th, the Fan Fair and the Ottawa Convention Center. Ice Sculptors, Confederation Park, trophy processions on the Rideau Canal, no truckers downtown, and all kinds of fun. And guess who performed during the game? A little-known rapper at the time that you might know now. His name was Drake. They know, they know, they, they know. know. Okay, they that know. was the era of Drake where he was brutal live. There was a Drake show where Eminem joined him on stage. And this was the beginning of his career. Now, I do not diminish everything he has accomplished. But 10 years ago when he was getting started, his live stuff was terrible. The biggest yeah. mistake, in my opinion, he made in that season of his life was inviting Eminem to join him on stage because Eminem is a god and Drake is not. Oh, he was yeah. not at the time. Yeah, he's pretty fantastic now. Yeah. I mean, at least, though, what's going for him is this was his best era of music, like his albums I, I and, agree. and the it was tracks. This, these, uh, he had an amazing mixtape in 2016. That was the last good thing that he really did but he was putting out some good tracks that were everywhere on the radio uh, around this time i remember that vividly mm -hmm. now when you look at drake's streaming stats he comes in at about 46 billion streams uh, this is as of last year for example and for those who maybe don't know you know drake's music um elton john uh, he he passed Elton John clearly. Now Elton John's had more time, and then Drake, of course, has this younger audience that is in the world of streaming. So it's kind of an apples and oranges scenario. But when you compare all of the artists and all of the things, the reality is that's how big that cat has become. Now he had just launched his album Take Care. Um, in all, 10.2 million viewers to watched in on the CBC, representing 30% of the Canadian population at the time. Now, it was a success because the following year there was no hockey. Now, the owners of the leagues, a big old lockout. That's what happened the following year, um, following season, starting into 2012 September. Hockey fans were bored. And here is a global news report from the lockout from 2012, more than 10 years ago. Jake Spack and his brother Dean are huge NHL fans struggling to get their hockey fix. I'm like always like channel surfing and I never could find anything now, so like something to watch really. So when Canada's World Junior team began tryouts today, the boys skipped school with mom's permission. They're just hockey lovers and they miss it so much, so we try to get them out to any hockey they can watch. It's not the NHL, but for heartbroken hockey fans, watching Canada's junior team helps numb the pain. It's part of the culture, right? Like, you're raised on hockey, and when you can't watch it, it's kind of a bummer. It's a bummer to not be playing either, and that's good news for Team Canada because the lockout has allowed NHL players like Edmonton Oilers center Ryan Nugent Hopkins to be freed up to play for the Red and White. Okay. Now... 
There was a big old negotiation. They tried to put it all back together again, and it took a few months, but they did get a deal, and there was a new collective bargaining agreement ended the lockout and um, and all of that. So just so you know. Now, 2012, more than 10 years ago, in fact, it was so long ago I was still married, and I've been, uh, I've been not married for a Ooh. decade. So that's Ooh. a long time ago. 2012 was a big year. That was the year I moved back to Calgary from uh, Burlington. I moved from Burlington to yeah, oh, really? back to Calgary. And I felt like that year felt like two years in one. It was still pro- one of the longest years of my life. Such a huge switch up. I went from finishing my first year of high school in grade nine to starting again my first year in high school in September of the same year because grade 10 is the first year of high school in Alberta. Right. It was a bizarre right. year to move. All right, that's cool. 2012, flashback Friday morning here on The Shift. Now, there was something else on in 2012. It was December 21st. It was the end of the world. Do you remember that? The end of the oh, yeah. world was coming. It was the end of the Mayan calendar. Uh, 5,126 years long. And was we were tiptoeing our way to the end of the world in 2012, we knew one of two things happened. The world was going to end, and they figured it out. Or they were like... Oh, that's enough counting. So it was going to go one of two ways. That's what we did learn. Turns out, either the world did end and we all live in hell now, and we just don't know, or they quit counting. (laughs) It is possible the world did end. We just haven't caught on. Scholars from various disciplines quickly dismissed the predictions of the apocalypse. Astronomers rejected the various proposed doomsday scenarios as pseudoscience. We still got freaked out, though. Global News had live coverage at the end of the world that day. And Global in Vancouver got its weather anchor at the time to pretend to be in New Zealand, which I'm not sure this is okay, but it's fun. He showed up in front of a hilarious bad green screen image of a volcano erupting near a hobbit home from the Lord of the Rings and some sheep, and this happened. I'm a little sad. Why is that? Because this may be our last show together. That's right, yes. Ever. Now, not because we're splitting up, but because uh, it could be the end of the world as you know it. And as we know it, there is a talk that this Mayan calendar thing, a lot right. of people are concerned about it. Right. It's December 21st is the date. It's only December 20th here in Vancouver. But right. um, on the other side of the world, it is now December 21st. So we are trying to find out what the status is of our friends uh, in Australia, New Zealand, right. Tonga, we heard was okay. Yeah. So we're, we're trying to get ahead of the story, basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So we, uh, you know, we, our budget here at Global is massive. And mm-hmm. so we were able to uh, get a, a live reporter for us this morning. I I believe he's in in Hobbiton, Hobbiton, New Zealand. Hobbiton, New Zealand. Ruben, Ruben, I think. Can you hear us, Ruben? Kiora, Sophie. Kiora, Sophie. Good morning. Good morning, Stephen. Uh, yes, uh, from New Zealand, I can hear you, and uh, uh, it's fantastic. We are alive here in New Zealand. We are absolutely delighted. It was an extremely long night. Uh, we were, uh, we we had all our supplies. I've got my emergency supplies with me still right now. Of course, we had our uh, emergency transistor radio, our uh, emergency first aid kit, right. and it's it's been safe so far. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the world, according to the Mayan calendar in 2012. What a time to be um, alive that was. What a time to be alive. Uh, I mean, we had just come out of uh, surviving the year 2000 and the computers all breaking. 
mm-hmm. and everything else that went with it. So um, before we get into the movies and stuff, I did want to talk about some rock songs. Um, there was some really great rock songs in 2012. Rock and roll basically died in the mid-2000s. Like all the yep. real rock stuff and alt-rock really took over. So what was it that we were listening to anyway? Well, there were some songs that really stuck around. I think that surprised a lot of people. And some of them, the um, the old video didn't make much sense on it either. And so let me turn this one up here. This one came out. Whoa. Is that 2012? Goche. Somebody that I used to know. Um, Great song. There were some songs from artists that we know that came back again, like Soundgarden had some new music. Um, actually, a couple of songs. Shinedown had some new music. Yeah, Shinedown. I was big into this the Shinedown in this year, for sure. Yeah, this is a little bit more of the rocky end of the songs from 2012. Like, this to me still stands the test of time. I love it. Um, Muse was out. This was way less I popular mainstream. This song. But it was a so wicked good. song. Yes. Um, you probably have to be a music head to know this one, but it was Madness by Muse. Pretty cool stuff. Now, the Black Keys had a pretty good run of about four years, I would say, maybe, if my memory serves me right, uh, before this. And they had some more good songs, too, that came out in the world of rock. This was inescapable at my high school, this song. <laughs> Like you just can't I love it. Like you can still hear this some of this stuff at hockey games today. Like it's it's just awesome. Now this one you can't escape either. Uh, I didn't know there was a dirty version of this song. Apparently there is. I just learned that. I think there was an f bomb. Is there? Which is funny because it's band fun, and listening to this song was not fun. I couldn't stand these guys when I was in high school. Really? It was so popular. Yeah, I didn't love it. I didn't love it. That song with Pink is okay though. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's get this one. This one was weird if you weren't an alti fan, because it kind of got into this hippie alti feel stuff, which was I think it's a fantastic song. But that's Lumineers, by the way. Been trying to do it right. Right. Been and then somehow it turned into like clubs were playing it and stuff. And then Monsters and Men. Um, yeah, one of the best songs amazing. of the year, in my opinion. And this one yeah. also stands the test of time of mm-hmm. awesome. Some of the biggest songs. Now, um, well, take a second here. We'll get a couple of pop songs in a minute. First, though, let's talk about the movies because uh, not only did we were we lucky that we survived the end of the year and the end of the Mayan calendar, we also got James Bond, Skyfall. What do you say about a man like that? Three months ago, you lost the drive containing the identity of every agent embedded in terrorist organizations across the globe. 007 reporting for duty. Where the hell have you been? Enjoying death. I only have one question. Why not stay dead? There's no shame in saying you've lost a step. That was a good show. That was so good. (laughs) So good. Also, for shows to watch in 2012, how about this one? It took me a long time to get caught up, almost 10 years, but I did love it. (laughs) I hated it at first. Oh, my God, I hated it. Although I still don't think it's as amazing as everyone says. Uh, Breaking Bad. If you had 
So there you go. There's TV shows. Now, there's one particular commercial that I think is just iconic. I know for a fact that we should really, we should all know this voice. And from for some friends for who did advertising, everybody said, whoa, like, can I have that guy? Do it like that guy. I want my commercial to sound like that guy. And it was this commercial of Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Who is Sam Elliott? Trust me, if you don't recognize his name, you very much do who know Sam Elliott is. Take a listen. To take it all head on, channel the universe, shorten the distances, push beyond the possible, Roar past convention. Shift every course. Defy the elements. And bring the world to its knees. It takes the new 2013 Ram 1500, engineered to move heaven and earth. The road doesn't end here. This is only the beginning. Sam Elliott was hired in 2010 for the Dodge Ram voice. Everybody loves that voice, that commercial. It was one of the best ones ever. High five, Dodge. Um, Now every time Ryan sees a Ram, he thinks of Sam Elliott. And God, to have that voice, that's a thing of beauty. Okay, a couple of quick pop songs before we're done to throw back Thursday, Flashback Friday, 2012, inspired by NHL All-Star Games. Last time it was uh, in Canada. Kelly Clarkson was killing it. You remember her from American Idol? Kelly Clarkson um, released this song, which I still think is the best one of all of her songs. You probably recognize it. It is Stronger, What Doesn't Kill You, and it was one of the best. This is a mom minivan song. Is it? I would <laughs> no, say. big time. Big time. Right? Kind of makes you want to dance while you're doing it, right? Let's see about a head of her. So at the same time that Kelly Clarkson was kicking out her music, it was a very powerful women in music year, that's for sure, when it comes to pop. Um, Rihanna and Calvin Harris, I was going to say Calvin Klein, um, released one of the best songs that she ever did uh, this year as well. I mean, all of this is the same year. Amazing, right? Maroon 5 started making music again. And this song, I was doing music research as part of my job at this time in my life. Mm-hmm. This was, these things tested so huge. Like, this was an era in itself in music. Not all of it was great, though. Um, because at the same time, we also had this. Oh, wait, wait. 
haven't heard that in a long time. Um, we also had LMFAO. Hey, 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 hey. Don't you dare disrespect LMFAO. This is an anthem of my generation right here. <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah, we all know what the millennial on the radio sounds like, so this says a lot. Maybe we should put this as your theme song, bro. Okay? Yeah. Here's the thing. I would no objections for me, honestly. I think John O'Chung. I think that's like his his go-to song. I feel like when John O'Chung is like doing his hair, you know, he's got the nice coiffed hair. I think that's the song that John O'Chung listens to, right? No, I don't. I don't listen no. to uh, that. No. Oh. No. <laughs> All right. There was a Canadian who ended up at number two for the entire year for the top 100 songs from Mission BC and uh, talk about an earworm uh, flashback Friday throwback Thursday here it's the shift I'm Shane Hewitt Carly Ray Jepsen who uh, was awesome I was so lucky earlier in her career to spend a ton of time with her and she ended up number two of all the songs in 2012 um, this is a song of a generation right I would say I hate Fair it enough? when it came out but now I love it it's nice. grown on me so much This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay with house parties? I love a good house party. I should probably preface by saying that my house parties aren't particularly like crazy. Nothing like Project X, if anybody's ever seen that movie. Just like, mm. you know. 10 to 20 friends enjoying music sharing stories i would usually right, you know could host you, them with uh, minute, right? oh there it is yeah exactly put some music on in the background maybe put some super smash bros on the tv Yo, play got yeah. something to say Good, good time. I wish you guys could see Shane dancing on the Zoom call right now. He's moving right now. There it is. House party, man. Kid and play funhouse. Did you ever like DJ? You're gonna have a house party. You gotta do this. What's that? Did you ever DJ a uh, house party for some friends? Uh, that's a good question. No, I don't think I've ever DJed house party because, yeah, my I love this ever. It's forever. Don't be shy. Yeah. Um, yeah, house parties. No, I don't think I've ever DJed house parties because it was one of those things where I usually most of the house parties I had already done a set, and then it was my time to be done, so I got to enjoy yeah. the parties. Yeah. That's probably good. For the best yeah i mean house parties are fun i mean the neighbors have one every now and then um they used to do them on the weekends friday or saturday night usually till three four or five in the morning and then they'd open the garage and then the plume of purple haze would flow float up and whatever but you know it was only one or two times a year the thing about house parties for me especially if it's the neighbors is the level of profanity whether it's like the the f yeah man i love you guy or if it's mm -hmm. the angry Fs and swears, right? That to me is the, that's the determining factor if the neighbor's house party is cool or not. The positivity around it. Okay, now house parties all happen in many different ways. And uh, three years ago, London, Ontario woke up because of a very, very loud party 
Okay, maybe not the party, but the aftermath of a party. On August 14th, 2019, a woman who was drunk driving crashed into a home, sparking a massive explosion that completely leveled 450 Woodman Avenue, severely damaging nearby homes and resulted in the evacuation of the entire neighborhood. Aftermath. Insulation and pieces of roof, and there is insulation and pieces of roof and bricks as far as Quebec Street and a pair of jeans in my backyard. Just thing went sky high. From a raging inferno to the vaporized aftermath. Eight to ten homes severely damaged, one entirely decimated. From this vantage point, you can see just a glimpse of some of the debris that's been left behind. This is what investigators are going to have to sift through. You can see the glass that's been blown out of some of the window frames. They're also dealing with issues of structural instability. It was after 10.30 Wednesday when first responders converged on London's Old East Village neighborhood. Police say a woman plowed into a home, hitting a gas line. In my career, I haven't seen an explosion of that magnitude. Uh, it was significant. Miraculously, there have been no reported deaths. When we arrived on scene, most of the people were already already outside of their homes, strictly due to the amount of noise, the flashing lights that were going on when we arrived. As a direct result of that, I think that mitigated the potential for a lot of injuries that could have occurred here. The driver of the car had to be pulled from the vehicle. Roughly 10 minutes later, the, <coughs> the blast reverberated through the neighborhood. And I can literally run outside and I can just look down the street here and it's like an inferno. It's like something I've never seen in my life. Like you see it on pictures in wars, like war zones. Okay. I remember this particular story because at the time, my business partner's uh, business, where I had my business, was about six blocks away on Hamilton no Road. No way. Really? Yeah. yeah. I got, woke up to a phone call like, you won't believe what happened last night. <laughs> it's down the road. It was by the um, the, the Fair Sports Center. I think that's what it was called. There's like a track there and everything else. And, okay. Yeah. It was just, uh, it was funny because our, our spot was on Hamilton Road and um, it's like Hamilton and... Um, oh God, rectory seems to ring a bell. There was a really good Cuban food spot right next door. Mm. I don't know if that's still there or not. It's great. Anyway, um, now there's, there's an update to this. The Kitchener woman behind the wheel of that car has now launched a lawsuit. Uh, this is the person who was driving the car and crashed it. She's now suing the food and beverage provider for Budweiser Gardens, the big rink in London, arguing it should cover any awards derived from lawsuits filed against her by those affected by the Woodman Avenue blast. In a statement of claim obtained by Global News and filed on January 5th, Daniela Lays and her father, Sean Lays, are seeking a ruling that Ovations Ontario Food Services LP... Uh, the Budweiser Gardens food folks, be held responsible for any awards or judgment amounts, including interest and costs from the six Ontario Superior Court and Small Claims Court action suits launched against them. In total, the court seeks damages around $4.97 million. So she's now suing the beer place. According to the document, Danielle and Sean Lace claim that they, she became intoxicated at Budweiser Gardens the night of the explosion that, and state that the defendant failed to ensure her safety and allowed for dangerous activity to be carried on at Buzzweiser Gardens. Additionally, they allege that Ovations failed to take responsible steps or any steps to ensure that Lays would not drive after being ejected from Budweiser Gardens. <laughs> it, the night was not going well. Let's just put it that way. No, clearly. 
The civil action comes after Daniela Lays pleaded guilty in October 2020 to four counts of impaired driving causing bodily harm in connection with the criminal investigation. In 2021, she was sentenced to three years in prison and almost five years in do- five million dollars of potential um, uh, suit settlements to come from that. So what's she doing? She's suing Budweiser Gardens for letting her get too drunk. You okay with that? Mm. Uh this is interesting because I, at one point, had to take my ProServe, which is the Alberta, you know, the course you have to take in order to serve alcohol in Alberta. And when you take those kinds of courses, they make it very clear that if there's a drug driving incident or anything like that, you could be held responsible for some of the mistakes or some of the things that happen there. However, I'm not sure if causing a massive explosion was ever in my training in that and mm. I honestly don't, I've, I do actually feel quite conflicted about this because it is such a staggering amount of chaos from a really poor decision from everybody involved. But it, I guess it's also difficult because I imagine one of the ways that they'll fight this is that if she's at a game, if she's at the arena and she goes to several different people and several different vendors to get alcohol, that, mm. you know, they're probably going to have a stronger argument than if it was the same bartender giving her 11 shots and then she goes and drives and crashes. So I feel like this is actually a very complicated legal case that I bet a many a lawyer will be interested to or like foaming at the mouth to watch. And yeah, because the end result of it was just a, like the videos of the aftermath. It's crazy. This the whole thing. Mm. And it's not only that to me. But if she was tossed out of the arena, mm-hmm. to me, that ends their responsibility in the arena because they yeah. have finished serving at that point, right? They've finished yeah. serving her. They have decided you've had too much. Your behavior is no longer appropriate. It's time for you to leave. I And I get it. Like, you can't overserve. Like, a bar couldn't overserve a patron, watch them leave the bar and go get in the car and drive away and not be held responsible for yeah. not intervening at that point, right? So I get the rules behind it, and I frankly agree with them. But if you've been thrown out of the bar, it shouldn't be, the, in my opinion, the bar's responsibility for your behavior. Because this skirts all responsibility of every drunk guy or gal that got into a shopping cart and went for a ride after mm-hmm. getting drunk. Right. That means that if you go and you drink too much in a bar and you do shots and remember, you can do, like you said, bartender to bartender to bartender, and you could do 10 shots in a row and then leave and look perfectly okay leaving. Be too smashed, end up upside down in a shopping cart at the bottom of a hill, need stitches and sue the bar for that. That to me seems wild. And I struggle with all of these ones where people don't aren't forced to take responsibility for their actions. Yeah. Right? Like, you, you yeah, still exactly. made the decision to get in the car. There was a there was a, a conversation I had today about somebody who got themselves into trouble. They got malaria. They caught malaria. Oh, jeez. Oh, uh, and when you get malaria, you have, like, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, visions, and you see things, and, like, you're hallucinations like apparently apparently is what i was told yeah and so like it's it's a wild experience and then so that person's behavior of wrecking things when they had malaria they were found not guilty because of the hallucinations what they were going through they were not in a mindset to do that that like so that makes sense to me that's proven but in a case like this nobody like this person getting in the car and driving and crashing 
that falls on nobody but this person. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the catch, is that if they had tossed her out of the arena and waited for police, if the expectation is you have to hold the person until police come, who whose responsibility is that to hold them until police come? Right? Mm-hmm. And then, right, it sounds a lot like kidnapping. Um, and then... <laughs> Forcible confinement, I suppose, is probably a pro- proper term. Um, but, I mean, the catching a taxi, the everything else. Who pays for the taxi because they're too drunk? It shouldn't be the arena. Right? But at the same time, if you need to be responsible for serving your product, if you build a car and the car drives down the road and the car catches on fire because somebody drives fast, you're the one who built the car that's not able to drive fast. You're responsible for having a broken product. So it does come back to this place of who is at fault here. And I, I it's confusing, isn't it? I get, were you a lawyer in a past life? Like, were you, you know, beforehand, before you were rocking the DJ booth, did you just do big law stuff, big brain stuff? If I, uh, if I was a lawyer, I did not get the paycheck. <laughs> Um, speaking of lawyers, um, something that we are going to look into on the shift here is that apparently um, AI and computers is able to write and translate legal speak for normal people. And there's a lot of conversation about sustainability inside the law for writing contracts and those kinds of things. Pretty wild. Um, something we'll look into. Anyway, who's responsible? But I also don't think that this person gets to get off responsibility because of it. No. I mean, maybe you could pull in the, the beer provider for doing things and not following up a protocol or having the proper systems in place to protect somebody. But how in reasonable way can you protect somebody from their own stupid actions? Mm-hmm. Right? That's like saying, I got drunk. You served me beer. I got drunk. I broke up with my girlfriend in a drunk fit of stupidness. Now I'm heartbroken for the rest of my life and you owe me money. Like that doesn't add up. So anyway, it's kind of wild. This is wild. This is really yeah. wild. Oof. Watch this one. Yeah. That's for sure. Okay. Uh, are you? Oh, are you okay? <laughs> I'm way ahead of myself here. Yeah. Are you okay with Shakira? Shakira. 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 Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I I'm dated. I'm dating a Colombian, and I didn't really appreciate uh. Shakira until I met uh, a family where it's the it's like the law of the house um yeah I like I like her music it's fun uh you know the voice I used to think it was kind of goofy actually like kind of the I don't know like kind of like a hybrid of like Christina Aguilera and I don't know who else but it's grown on me a lot and I I, I like I love her brand of Latin pop I love it it's good mm-hmm. background music and it's great party music too okay well, Shakira is like, well, I don't know who would you compare her to in America or Canada. Yeah, it's not like really the Celine Dion. I don't know who's the biggest female singer in Canadian history. In Canadian history, well, I'd say Celine, but like Shakira is a lot more fun than Celine Dion. Yeah, but she's she's as iconic. As iconic, as Celine yes. Dion so we're going, is, yeah, right. Uh, who's yeah, the I'd biggest American doing. singer like right now? Like Beyonce, maybe mm-hmm. Adele for the UK kind of thing. Yeah, Shakira is that level of star 
uh, in South America in general and, and Colombia. Anyway, she's an icon. Just this week, she broke some serious records on YouTube. By Friday morning, her new song had racked up more than 63.5 million views on YouTube, including the most watched new Latin music video on the platform's history, making headlines. Why did it become so popular? Because it is a serious diss track against her ex. What is a diss track? Well, it's a burn. She burned him. Gerard Pique. Pique. Shakira and Piquet, who played football for Barcelona, Manchester United, and the Spanish national team, separated last year after more than a decade, and they have two kids together. The former center back, 35, has since begun a relationship with a 23-year-old woman, Clara Chia. Well, he's allowed to date. Um, the diss track is a collaboration with the Argentinian producer DJ Bizarrap. Now, Shakira does not hold back in the song. She sings, I'm worth two 22-year-olds, burn, adding, you swapped a Ferrari for a Renault, Twingo. You swapped a Rolex for a Casio. Nice. Um, which is not really a burn track versus like a self-confidence thing. A little you know, both. She's kind of saying I'm the bomb. Anyway, she also sings. This is why you never date a singer, by the way. Um, when <laughs> I was younger, you. I, I did meet a few singers and, um, spent some time with some singers and learned very quickly, unless you want to be driving one day and hear your story in the form of a song, um, don't date a singer. Shakira also sings a she wolf like me isn't for rookies. I was out of your league, which is why you're with someone just like you. Now, will there be an English version of this song? I'm assuming absolutely there will be. Um, Apparently, Shakira found out PK was allegedly cheating after she found her strawberry jam eaten in the fridge after returning from traveling. That's always the giveaway. The strawberry jam. It's a jam. Got himself into a jam. (laughs) (laughs) What a sticky situation that is. Oh, Oh, dear God. You're going to be a great dad one day, right? Oh, God. God, I hope so. In the video, Shakira opens a refrigerator and finds the head of the song's collaborator, Rao Alejandro, with fans deducing that she found the truth in the fridge. Bum, bum, bum. Truth bum. There's a piece of me that says you can't complain about people, you know, being all starstruck and making a big deal about your life if you put your life out in public like that. But if it's true that he was being unfaithful and all that stuff, eh, doesn't break my heart. (laughs) No, not at all. And I I love a good diss track. I, uh, I love them all. They're so much fun. I like the drop the mic moments. Bring them on. Okay. I like this. Um, okay, let's get a quick one here. Are you okay with sports broadcasts? Oh, God. Uh, mad. Y- yeah, I mean, they just, uh, I-, I wish they had a little bit more oomph to them, you know? Like, I wish no, that, they're you know, gambling. They the it's game. gambling TV now. Oh, yeah, exactly. And I don't like, uh, I watched some NFL playoffs uh, and it was, Ed brought to you by Blake Blake Duel. 
gamble away. Yeah. And it's just bet, bet it's, now all your money. Bet instantly. Bet your money. Oh. Bet now. Here's the stats and the over under for all the betting you're about to do watching our sports broadcast. There are some amazing sports broadcasters that are forced to basically shill betting stats and over unders now instead of sports stats. And I hate it. And I wish I could take a stand for all sports broadcasters and say, like, they have sold out sports broadcasts in a terrible, terrible way. And I hate it because there's so many talented sports broadcasters that are like sports encyclopedias geniuses. And they're not getting able to do, they're not able to do what they do because they got to talk about over under crap. It's done. I hate it. And so it frustrates me every time I watch. Anyway. Um, sports, uh, spots on TV are, sports on TV are obviously broadcast. Oh my God. It is Friday after all. So it's no big deal. That's a typo. Sports are often broadcast live and anything can happen on live TV. A prankster claimed responsibility for broadcasting very loud pornographic sounds over a BBC broadcast. Moaning was heard while Gary Lineker presented the third round replay between the Wolves and Liverpool on Tuesday. Those are soccer teams, by the way. So how did this prankster do this? Gary Lineker, a football pundit, posted a picture of a mobile phone that said was taped to the back of the set. Very creative. The phone was set to play the moaning over and over and over again. We apologize to any viewers offended during the live coverage of the football game this evening, BBC said. A spokesperson said the BBC was investigating, and they went on the uh, BBC Two's uh, night later broadcast and explained he initially thought the video had been sent to one of their phones. And then every time we went to, like, a piece of VT, it stopped. So then I'm figuring this is being done by somebody watching the television, waiting yeah. until we come on. And we it's so, ending yeah. the game. But it was, I have to say, I, I think it's funny. Is it the most <laughs> unusual special effect you've ever had to deal with? I would say um, unquestionably so. Um, it was definitely, and it was, it was quite hard to just carry on the, the, the pre-match build-up and take it seriously when this was going but Was it not adding to your pre-match build-up? Uh, well, it, it, it added to the whole game, actually. I don't think anyone cared. <laughs> the, the game, game wasn't, wasn't that great, was it? Special. No, I mean, we had a screamer of a goal, which was um, kind of the, the tone of the whole show. Ah, that's pretty good. That's good play. <laughs> All right, oh, so there's a YouTube so prankster says he was behind the stunt. You can find it on Twitter. We're not going to do it here because we're classy. Um, and I'm going to just, we're going to do this. because It was not sexy music like this. And sexy no, sounds. No, it was not. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.